Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. The following program contains topics particular to the LGBTQ plus community. Some discussions may contain mature themes. As such, listener discretion is advised. This is Pride Connection, sponsored by BlindLGBTPride.org, otherwise known as BPI, every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. on ACB Media One and shortly after on all your major podcast catchers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are listening to Pride Connection on ACB Media One. That is American Council of the Vine Media One. We're here every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. and on all major podcast catchers right after the show finishes. So I am really excited about tonight's show. Um, we have two fierce advocators that are members of Blind Pride. In fact, one happens to be the president of Blind Pride. And uh, we will get to that in a few moments. I want to um, remind everybody that this week, um, by the time this airs, yesterday was National Coming Out Day. So if you'd like to share any of your coming out stories with BPI, you can always send it to membership at blindlgbtpride.org. We will be reactivating our blog on our website very soon. So we'd love some of your stories, some of your impressions. And um, if you're inspired by tonight's conversation and you have some political activism stories to share with us, we'd love that too. Uh, Later on in the week, the American Council of the Blind and most especially the Get Up, Get Moving campaign will be holding their first Coast to Coast event to help celebrate White Cane Day. And that will be a national Coast to Coast dance party, starting with music from the 60s, going all the way through music of today. Every hour we'll have a different representative group from the American Council of the Blind playing DJ, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. The tens end today. So look forward to that. I know that uh, BPI will definitely have a presence there. You know, we try to support our parent organization as much as we possibly can. And uh, in just a little less than two weeks, a good bunch of us will be at our Denver Fall Social. But I know that our president in his president's message has a few things to say about that. So as always, <laughs> please welcome Gabriel Lopez Hafari. Thank you. Thanks, Anthony, for that warm welcome. Or shall I say for that warm welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> and I heard <laughs> Jessica clapping in the background. <laughs> Jessica is so excited. Uh, I am too. I know we all are. Fall social networking event. Last year, obviously, we had to cancel. Uh, but it's a staple. BPI every year brings together friends allies and especially members in an exciting adventure. (laughs) And I guess we all had such an amazing time in Denver in 2019 that we decided to come back. (laughs) So Denver, here we go, October. 
October 21st through the 24th in exactly two weeks, BPI will take on Denver. Tell the members and the listeners how they might be able to participate with us while we're in Denver. <laughs> well, um, you know, it so happens to be that um, our special featured guest tonight, one of our youngest and newest and very vibrant member, Jessica Tomlinson here from Florida. A um, woman of many talents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Started uh, to put together this event that we're calling what? An open mic? Yes. Okay. So it's, uh, I guess you can do whatever. Yes. Whatever music, you're, you're. Music, there you go. poetry, dance, play an instrument, sing a song, read a poem. Tell some comedy, or... read a poem. Yeah. Whatever, whatever right. talent you've got, um, you are more than welcome to join us. There will be Zoom invites going out to some of the special interest affiliates. But if you're listening to this and you want to hear the fabulous Miss Jessica's uh, songstress or myself, who's going to be bringing a tune or two and maybe a little bit of comedy and all the rest of the VPI folks that have got some great stuff geared up, um, hit us up at the same email address, membership at blindlgbtpride.org. And we will send you the Zoom invite for Friday. I believe that's the 21st, 22nd. That's right. Friday, Friday the, the 22nd. Friday the twenty second, and, 22nd. and yeah. we have and we're gonna go. We decided on a time, Jessica. We're gonna start at what time? I think that last time we were talking, you all were saying something. You were either saying four to six or four thirty to six. Well, uh, the, four the, to six thirty is what we went. The, what oh, we decided okay. to go with four to six thirty sounds good to me. But that's and Denver time, so yes, people are and they'll be in, will have. Oh, I'm sorry. There'll be an open hangout um, later on after we will break for dinner and then come back a couple hours later with an open hangout for the rest of the evening. So please join us in Denver. Absolutely. And like Anthony mentioned, National Coming Out Day. Um, this week is packed full of events. Uh, ACB, White Cane Day. Uh, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff to stay in community. That's it on my part. I I'm very excited to really dive into this topic because like Anthony said I'm a very very fierce activist advocate and 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 Jessica has exciting news so Jessica welcome to Pride Connection again thank you very much it's great to be with you all today so you know what unfortunately we have a little bit of disturbing news as some folks may know last week in a surprise late in the evening decision the fifth circuit reversed the earlier reversal or blockage of the texas law that went into effect september 1st effectively banning abortions in the state of texas it was a law that basically said up to six weeks and at that six week mark, which, you know, Jessica can tell us a little bit more about. But up to that six week mark, I would say probably about 75 percent of, of women don't even know they're pregnant. So that, it- that is very true. That is very accurate. The other very heinous part about this law is that it encourages bounty hunting or vigilanteism, meaning that if someone either reports or sues a medical provider, a woman seeking to have the procedure, or even someone, I believe, even someone helping that woman get that or that person who can get pregnant to get that procedure, they could potentially 
be sued and the person reporting or bringing the claim could earn up to $10,000. So hello, angry, disgruntled exes. Hello, overprotective parents. Hello, people wanting to get rich quick. Wow. Yeah, that's um really disgusting. When you put a call out there like that, it's just inviting, you know, a layer of divisiveness that's even more disgusting than what we've dealt with for the last couple of years. Yes, and it's also so disgusting as if it's essentially it is putting a price on doing something and automatically just it's just like America's most wanted, you know, right? You're it's offering putting a price on the head of that person who can get pregnant. Yeah. yeah, and not Even, only that, but but already, you know, already by offering actual money to kind of turn them in, you're actually treating them like criminals. It's it's, right. it's 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 so it's so awful. It is. Think about a moment where a mother has to bring her daughter who has been assaulted. Now a pregnancy has resulted in that assault. And all she wants to do is care for her daughter. And they've made this decision as a family. And someone can civilly sue her for up to $10,000 for helping her daughter in a horrific situation. There's no decency whatsoever in, in this law. And Jessica, you actually participated in a march and a rally around this situation. Can you tell us a little about that? Yes. Um, On Saturday, October 2nd, there were marches and rallies organized all across the country. Different organizations are organizing different types of events. Um, Some were organized by Women's March. Some were organized by uh, the one that I went to was organized by Progress Florida and Floridians for Reproductive Freedom. The format was... A large gathering. There was a main stage in a park where they had several speakers lined up and a musician. And the people who were about to march gathered to watch the speakers on the stage. And there was also time for the attendees to mill around to various organizations who were tabling at the event. Then everyone was able to go on a march down along the St. Pete waterfront. And there were close to 5,000 people there. And I feel really privileged that I was able to be a part of that. It was very energetic. Believe it or not, it was a very positive vibe that everybody there seemed to have a need for change and seemed hopeful that change was going to occur or that we were at least going to send a very clear message here in Florida that We're not going to just sit down quietly if Florida decides to copycat this heinous law from Texas. Now, Jessica, was there a law enforcement presence? Did And if so, did you feel them there? I'm not exactly sure. I do know that we were working with St. Petersburg City and the organizers obtained a permit from the city. I don't know about express law enforcement presence. However, they did have a large contingent of what were known as safety marshals. So uh, mostly women and a few men volunteered to put on yellow vests and be prepared with first aid supplies in case that was needed and just sort of station themselves at certain points on the boundaries of the event. We weren't actually blocking any traffic patterns per se. We were 
mostly on the sidewalk, and we went down to the end of our St. Pete Pier and back. Nice. Now, you've represented a very special group, and we definitely wanted to highlight that here on Pride Connection. So I was wondering if you could tell us about the group itself and what it felt like to represent the intersectionality of of those communities. Well, I have recently become the president of a small local organization. We're trying to grow it, trying to get the word out here in St. Petersburg and Pinellas County in general. We are a small chapter affiliate of the Democratic Party. We are the Pinellas County Democratic Disability Caucus. So yeah, they have other identity specific chapters. So they have the Hispanic Caucus, they have the Stonewall Democrats, they have some geographic North Pinellas, South Pinellas, and we are a identity specific disability group. And our goal is to get people with disabilities involved in the political process. We are going to embark on a postcard campaign to try to find homeowners with property tax exemptions related to having a disability who are Mm -hmm. not registered to vote and send a postcard saying, please register to vote because we need your voice and your opinion should be heard. And no matter what party we think they might um, come under, we just want to get them involved in the process. And we are trying to also be more of a quote unquote force to be reckoned with so that local candidates for local government office will be able to say, hmm, there's a chapter of of this whole group of people with disabilities. I guess we better start thinking about incorporating accessibility Mm -hmm. into our campaign messaging and actually think about what would make our city and our public spaces more accessible. I was going to say definitely incorporating uh, disability rights into their you know political spiels and and like you said jessica you know making a group like that a force to be reckoned with means a huge thing for the community of persons with disabilities because that brings us to the forefront of political agendas and and it also demonstrates the presence and also reminds public officials or you know of people who are running for an office uh, that we vote <laughs> and that we are, uh, you know, watching what what they will do or not do for or against us if they get elected. I, I, I'm, I'm very happy that this initiative has grown and has, has come to fruition, Jessica. You have no idea how excited I am. I have been involved in politics for a long time since I became a citizen, basically. One of the things that I did in my in my political career was I joined one of the caucuses. I joined the uh, Democratic LGBT caucus uh, in Miami. I'm going to have to tell you that I'm happy because I'm, I'm happy. I'm so happy and proud that someone like yourself is is leading this organization and that this organization exists. But I'm happy personally because I did not quite fully feel integrated within the LGBT caucus of the Democratic Party here in South Florida. I felt, and this is a topic for another Pride Connection, and we've talked about it, that topic that we talked about uh, discrimination within the LGBT community against disabled gay or lesbian uh, or transgender or bisexual persons, 
I felt that at the LGBT caucus because they something somewhere in between a fear, uh, not knowing what to do, probably being afraid of saying something. I don't know what it is, but there's usually I feel that ice, that that kind of like wall. So I sadly had to step down from my involvement. I was part of the board of the LGBT caucus. So having a caucus representing disability, my question to you, Jessica, will be, I guess you're you're just being local, but are you willing to use that platform to start kind of creating similar groups in other parts groups. of the state? Yeah, encouraging, yeah. because I would be so happy to do something like that here in, in South Florida. Well, one thing that we, and again, I haven't really talked it over with my board yet, but as we grow, I could see that one thing that could possibly grow out of it in the future is for us to connect with more national organizations. So we have the American Council of the Blind, which we're all a part of. And I'm sure that there are national consumer groups for other people with other types of disabilities that we maybe could find out what kind of campaigns they're doing. Like, for instance, ACB has our Get Up and Get Moving campaign, which I really am excited about because I consider myself quite physically active. And Get Up and Get Moving can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But I like the general idea of putting the consumer more in control of managing their health and their situation. I like the Medical Equipment Accessibility Act that I believe is being proposed to Mm -hmm. encourage uh, medical equipment manufacturers to make their devices accessible with either talking or beep tones or tactile markings. I can't tell you how much I've been frustrated by printer-scanner combo things trying to push the buttons on the screen to make them do various functions when those functions are not duplicated in the software that I can then access on my computer with the screen magnifier or screen reader. So I'm really excited about that. And I just think that there's a possibility we could find some campaigns from other organizations too, that we might be able to do something local that would tie into. Because my hope is that we bring together different disability groups, if you will. So cross-disability solidarity, I think, is the right word for it, because a lot of us do tend to kind of stick to our own community. And that's good because we're familiar, but it's also good if we can reach out and find out what needs we have in common. It's interesting when we think, I sort of identify a little bit with what you were saying about Maybe not feeling that the whole of you was seen. I mean, maybe maybe it was welcomed, but not necessarily seen or understood. I think that's what we call intersectionality or recognizing someone's intersectional identity. So mm-hmm. their gender, who they like to date, their orientation, their ethnicity their disability status, all these things, if you can picture like multiple circles coming together in the middle of a Venn diagram and the cross between all those circles is what makes each individual who they are. And sometimes organizations 
for one of those circles may address that one part of the person, but they may feel like they need to leave the rest of themselves at the door. Um, and I don't think people do it intentionally. I just think the more conversation and education we have, the more we can bring mm-hmm. the whole person into each new space. What steps as, as your new leadership position are you thinking about or actively taking at this point to make sure that all across the disability spectrum that everyone is heard and that you know I think one of the things especially in the low vision blind community one of the things that you know prevails is that oh you know that organization that group only wants to talk about their issues and you know our issues don't completely line up with their issues et cetera et cetera what do you what do you What are you doing to make the space open and available for everyone? Well, um, I know that we have had a lot of conversations about our specific needs and what accommodations we typically need, what everyone's abilities and challenges tend to be. We have most of us in our group don't drive. We have some that do. We have people who may uh, be chronically ill and may um, have limited energy supply, what they call nowadays the spoony community, because the people say that they need to conserve their spoons. And that goes back to Like if you only have 10 spoons in your silverware drawer and then you use one to scoop some ice cream and you use another to stir your coffee and another for this, and then you don't have any more spoons left. I don't know. This might be a strange analogy. I don't consider myself a part of the community, so I'm not really sure I'm explaining it exactly right, but we generally try to listen to each other. And respect when someone says, I'm not able to do that, or I don't quite have the energy to do that, or I'm having a day where I'm in pain, or I've got a bunch of doctor's appointments coming up. I may not be able to attend that. So we are trying to build enough of a support base and a community that we're all able to help each other and we're able to think of as many ways that we can accommodate people as we can. I think in, in our community, especially, I think it's way more prevalent for blind and low vision and, you know, the deaf community, the deaf and hard of hearing community, where there's what Gabriel was speaking about um, before that wall, you know, it's almost a wall of invisibility. Just to clarify, that's within the LGBT community itself. And, and you know, there's, there is there is that wall of invisibility for those of us who are blind or visually impaired members of the LGBTQ community when considered by the non-disabled members of the community. Right, right. And at the event on the second, Jessica, did you feel, you know, all inclusive where you said there was almost 5,000 people? That's, that's an absolutely beautiful, that inspires me to no end. Did you feel all included or, or were there pockets where you felt the, the, the limitations of disability because of other things that were going on within the event? Well, we did have an issue because 
you know, when you go to those events at parks, guess what? There's going to be porta potties and they're going to be stashed kind of out of the way. In this case, they were kind of off to the side and you had to walk for quite a ways to get to them. So I had two compatriots who use power wheelchairs and they did have a larger, wider accessible porta potty which I thought was good I had never seen an accessible porta potty before and I was really happy that they had one however um and this goes back to another example of listening to each other one of the people who uses a wheelchair said you know what the port the accessible porta potty is a good start, but this is just not going to work because it is set so far off of the main sidewalk that I'm afraid if I roll through this light sand and grass here, I'm going to get stuck. So oh. we had to get a couple of people with muscles to literally pick that thing up and haul it a few feet closer to the sidewalk. And I'm not sure I didn't actually see it after that, but I think that they had some kind of a ramp going up into it. And the lady was able to maneuver into it a lot easier and didn't have to be afraid of getting stuck after they had moved it. So there was that. But that same uh, lady, I actually marched alongside of her. Um, She uh, traveled the march route in her wheelchair and I was using my long cane. And I didn't tie the rainbow streamers to it this time, but I have in the past Mm -hmm. for pride. And she said that anytime I wanted to, I could gently grab on to the back or the side of her chair. So that could be her modified form of human guide for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did when it got really crowded and um, condensed. And, And people did a pretty good job of keeping enough distance between each other. People didn't crowd like shoulder to shoulder. People were generally pretty good about wearing masks and giving each other some breathing room. So that was good. And the organizers even said when the speakers were finishing up and the musician was starting to play, they said, okay, everybody, now let's move slowly towards the march area. So they were like, please don't stampede like a herd of cattle or something here. I don't know about you, Gabe, but I'm, I'm, I'm thoroughly inspired hearing, you know, folks recognize, you know, I, I would like to give a pass to anyone out there who's thinking, you know, hey, why would they do that with the porta potties? You know, it's not always going to be, you know, a thought that's in organizational minds until we're more vocal, until we're more mm-hmm. out there, until we show more, we educate more. So that's I'm going right. to give a pass to the organizers and I'm going to say a big, a huge kudos to the big burly men and women, I'm hoping yeah. it was both, <laughs> who picked up the porta potty and made it accessible for, for your friends. And, and, you know, what a testament that, you know, you were all working together to make Mm -hmm. sure that all the varying needs were met. Like, hey, you know, I can't grab your elbow, but, you know, you can grab the back of the the handle on the back of my chair. Mm -hmm. That's, that's right. She even offered I could hang my heavy bag on the back of it, too. That was nice, too. (laughs) You know, Jessica, I, I, I feel very nostalgic hearing you relate that experience because it takes me back to in 2016 and fall of 2016 I was a fellow for the Democratic Party in South Florida and I did everything you name it I did voter registration I did phone banking but my favorite out of all was canvassing. people hated canvassing 
many people dislike it. I loved it. I, I did not fear rejection or slamming a door in my face or anything. So, so you know, the the organizers, uh, my, my leaders were so they were they worked me out because they would they would be so mindful to pair me up with people who had a car. And, you know, and everyone was so sensitive as of my needs. What, 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 do, what did I need from them? And, you know, we, I formed such beautiful working relationships with so many of my fellows because, you know, I would, you know, I would tell them, uh, you know, you have the list, you know, you find the, you find the apartment, we knock, and then I talk. <laughs> so <laughs> they were happy with that. They were happy with that because they said they were, they, they didn't want to talk. They were and I found a way of very, very charismatically entice people into conversation. And I, I want to say that we we did a lot of we were very effective with our canvassing. How many of those doors do you think initially stayed open because of that beautiful, blonde, uh, furry, four legged, <laughs> gorgeous yes. beauty at your side? I'm sure Posh had a lot to do with people opening doors, but it also had a lot to do with probably people not even opening the door because they were afraid of a dog. You know, I have to echo a lot of that experience. Um, I also, if you haven't guessed by now, I am an extreme extrovert. I'm very outgoing. I thrive on the energy of other people, especially when I'm performing or speaking. So I also love canvassing and I really enjoyed canvassing. The midterm of 2018 was my last episode of canvassing. And Mm -hmm. I was so, so, so bummed um, in 2020 when COVID stopped us from actually going door to door. Yeah, And they did the same thing with me. They were able to pair me with somebody who drove and believe it or not, with somebody who's shy. So the person was able to deal with the app and... They got pretty good at giving me information like there's going to be three steps and the doorbell is going to be on the right. And I think also to echo what you were saying about the doors being open because of your beautiful dog, I think some doors were probably kept open a little bit more because I had my cane and people were wondering, what's up with this? Yeah, Yeah. it's beautiful because it's we're doing you know we're 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 doing what we love and we are supporting a cause we believe in and at the same time even if we don't get a vote or even if we don't get a good response at least we educated people because many people did say that they did admire the fact that I was a person with a disability and I was out and about actually and actively campaigning and 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 being a part of the democratic process whatever their political affiliation is that's great and i'm so glad that you had that experience yeah oh my god let me tell you we went through um we're we're in miami lake so i did a lot of the uh there's a lot of apartment complexes in a certain um on 67th avenue which is the one of the main roads here in miami lakes but i also had to do a lot of canvassing in hialeah (laughs) which is very very fun uh, and very interesting place in hmm. South Florida. It's a very high, uh, highly Cuban populated, uh, but mainly elderly people, you know, a lot of elderly Cubans. And I ended up Cuba, and it is very rad, yes, um, <laughs> because uh, Cuban people by tradition have some sort of 
anti-democratic, but I'm not talking about every Cuban. Um, I don't like stereotypes, but in any case, we ended up, I ended up having Cuban coffee with ladies in their kitchens and chatting. And, and it was, it was fun. It was, it was, it was a great experience. That is really awesome. I'm going to ask both of you, you know, in, in your experiences and, and I, I'm not weighing in on this part because as many of our listeners know, I only lost my eyesight five years ago. So the last time I canvassed, I still had eyesight. And I am very much looking forward to the midterm, the upcoming midterm elections to get myself back into the process. But that's enough about me. When you when you have canvassed, you know, when you've been at events like this, what would you say to, to folks in our community out there? who've always wanted to march, who've always wanted to become part of the political process, but have held back because they, they think about the times when they've, they've met that, you know, that glass wall, that, you know, that invisible wall. What's some stuff you, you'd say to our listeners? I would say start small and start where you're comfortable. So ever since 2018, I have been... <laughs> getting more active. Bless you. Thank you. So I started by becoming a member of my local chapter of the National Organization of Women. And that was a good educational experience just to learn more about the issues. And they often had local candidates speak at our meetings. And that is typically a meeting of about maybe 20 people, maybe a little bit more, who are mostly 50 plus, um, more like 60 plus. But it was a good opportunity to start getting to know people and to finding out not only what the current issues are, but to listen to those people who have, each one of them has a lifetime of organizing experience. Mm. Um, We had people that worked, I don't know, in all different kinds of the biggest and most important issues in the 70s and 80s. We had people that worked on the Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution, just stating putting wording in our constitution that says that women are equal to men. Um, We had people doing clinic escorting back in the 70s. We had people that have worked on campaigns committees for decades and decades. We have a lifetime of wealth of experience. So it was good to just take a lot of that in if you will. And sometimes they would have a speaker, sometimes they would show film. And I actually met the organizer of this big March event through those meetings. That was how we first met. Then I started branching out a little bit more and was asked to speak for my local League of Women Voters chapter. And that's a slightly larger organization with a little bit more diverse demographic of participants that has a wealth of different committees. They work on many different kinds of issues. And that was mostly on Zoom because I joined them in 2020. So getting plugged in, start with one organization where you really feel like go to a chapter meeting or two, see what kind of vibe you get. Maybe if you don't get such a great vibe, maybe try a different organization related to something that you believe in. And there I will end my long spiel. And from one president to, and congratulations, by the way, to another president, 
who also offers us another layer of understanding. When you first joined the political process here in Florida, you had a little bit more sight than you have now, but you also were on the tails of becoming a citizen. So what can you tell us about your experiences? Not, you know, not that relevant amount of sight, you know, it's uh, not, not, not that much usable sight, but, you know, um, every little counts, I guess. I, I became a citizen and I've definitely talked about this opportunity the first thing one of the first things that i did after becoming a citizen was marching uh, not marching but <laughs> walking capitol hill to uh advocate uh with the effort of the american council of the blind um which happens every year in uh february uh well now in march next year <laughs> to to be more uh, th- that was still uh, i consider a, a a very safe space for me because I was, you know, it was a whole bunch of us blind people walking through the buildings of Capitol Hill advocating for the imperatives of ACB. But I think, and this is this is the advice that I'm going to give. I loved Jessica's advice about starting small, uh, testing the water that way. When I applied to be a fellow for the 2016 campaign and I got accepted and, you know, I had my appointment to go, you know, I, I, I presented my, my availability. So they sent me my schedule. And the first thing I had to go to um, some sort of orientation. That was fun because it was all, you know, it was a, a big group and speakers and all pump, everyone pumped up and uh, taking pictures and all that. But when I had to actually show up the first day to, you know, it's, it's like your first day of work. <laughs> so I show up with my computer, my laptop, and I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> I'm 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 gonna bring us always a little bit of spirituality, not religion, spirituality. I, I I my advice would be have faith, have faith that your presence will inspire others to not only enfold you and see what you have to offer, but also help you in the areas that you need help. The first person that I encountered was a person who saw me struggling with my with my screen reader, and I was doing phone banking. And he asked me, are you okay? And I said, no, the system is not being accessible. And he immediately took on the task of, you know, contacting Boat Builder and, and, and doing everything possible so that things could be accessible for me. To the day he's like a mentor for me and he's um he's a very good friend and uh just like that you know i went to other events and i started going and people started noticing that you know that i needed certain assistance but that i that they were smart so if you join the right group and and people who are smart about noticing your strengths rather than your weaknesses they approached me i always had someone approaching me saying, I love how you canvas. I love the way you speak to people. I love this. I love that. How can I help you? I want to work with you. I, I can drive for you if you show me how you do this. I can reduce this document if you show me how to interpret it. You know, so people were kind of like got to a point where they were, they were bartering with me. You know, I, they I, they were not doing me a favor. They were asking me to teach them something and they would do something in exchange for me. So that's where, you know, I think faith is important because 
go in not with the thought process that you're going to fail because you have a disability or that people are going to discriminate you because you have a disability. Many, some people will, but don't focus on that. Go in with the faith that you will find the right people. And if you don't find the right people, then that's your big clue. That means you're not in the right place. Both sets of advice are, was really on point and, and beautiful. And your level of dedication and, and energy for the Democratic Party gave you a beautiful moment with um, a current representative. Do you want to remind <laughs> yes. the folks of, um, oh of one of your shining uh, moments? Actually, uh, Jessica just mentioned it a moment ago. I did not campaign or I did not work uh, for the 2018, but I did go to certain marches and events. One of them was being held at, uh, you know, the place where I work at Miami-Dade College. And um, when I heard um, this was um, uh, for for the midterm elections in 2018, um, and when I heard that one of the speakers was going to be (laughs) my very dear lady, Kamala Harris, I just went over and one of my coworkers, a very good friend, told me that, you know, at the end of, of, of of the rally, people were just going up on stage to take pictures with the different personages up there. So I said, I want a picture with with her. I want to, I don't care about the rest. I want a picture with Kamala Harris. And, uh, it was, it was a beautiful moment. I jumped, you know, my friend hold, held posh for me and I jumped up on the stage and then, um, my friend. And how did you around. address that dear lady? That's what, that's exactly what I'm going to tell you right now. She, she, at that point I had posh already. My friend had brought posh up to the stage for me with using, using the stairs. And, uh, and Kamala was actually leaving the stage and her security uh, personnel told her that um, I was going after her and she came back and she told me I would be very honored to have a picture taken uh, with you and your lovely friend. And we did and uh, we chatted for a little bit and uh, she thanked me for being there and for being present and uh, she hugged me. It was pre-COVID and, uh, you know, we kiss. Uh, I mean, obviously, a, a, kiss, a kiss on the cheek. And when I got close to her to for for the kiss, I whispered in he in her ear, "Thank you for this moment, Madam President, 2020." <laughs> because I really was betting on her for president, and uh, she smiled. I I couldn't see, but I could hear her smile. She says, "You think so?" And I said, "I know so." <laughs> and she asked me, "Will you work for me?" And I said, "Absolutely." <laughs> so wow. she didn't get president but she got got the second best second next best wow 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 i am so jealous but so happy <laughs> for you that you were able to experience that i actually have a screensaver wallpaper on my phone lock screen of an illustration of kamala harris with script above it that says madam vice president and i have not been able to remove it ever since um, I found out that she was going to be vice president. It's put out by a group called Emily's List. Nice. I've heard of it. I want to switch directions for a moment, Jessica. And, and this is a personal question. If, you know, if you're not comfortable answering it, I will absolutely understand. But, you know, the last couple of years have been very tumultuous and, I believe you said this was your first large rally. How much did your own personal security 
factor into this decision making process? And, you know, what, you know, what else might you want to tell us about about that part of leading the organization and and being part of, you know, a a march that included 5000 people? Well, we honestly didn't think that it was going to be that big. Um, And it may have been naive of me going into it, but I have been a part of two or three pride parades. Um, And that is a little bit different, obviously, because as we all know, pride has gone from a riot to a demonstration to now a party festival, which I love parties. Um, as long as we remember why we have them. And for me, when I was part of those pride parades, it was like an explosion of happiness and excitement and glitter yes. and rainbows and everything yeah. wonderful. <laughs> when I was a teenager, I used to draw pictures of crowds. Now I've had the same level of vision most of my life. I've got a stable condition from birth. So I would draw in, you know, with my nose pressed against the paper in my felt tip pen, I would draw little heads and the people in the front actually got faces and chests and, you know, whatever else would fit in the picture. But I used to draw crowds and I used to dream of being a part of crowds because duh, I'm an extrovert and that's what extroverts think of. But when I was a teenager, I used to listen to my older sisters talk about going out partying. And of course, I didn't know everything that it entails when older sisters or older teenagers go out partying. I just assumed that there was just lots of people dancing and lots of happy music, you know. Um, (laughs) And that to me was what the Pride Parade was like. It was that preteen party dream come true. And this rally that I was a part of, I knew that there was a lot more mission behind it. And I knew that we had a point that we were trying to make. And I don't know, I guess it was probably naive of me to think that everything was just going to be fine and hunky-dory. But honestly, that's really how I felt going into it. And I do realize that I bring in a lot of privilege when I say that. I am a white person of European descent, and so was probably two-thirds to half of the people there. And we were, we had enough large organizations and or political clout behind us in order to get a permit from the city and make it quote unquote legal, so to speak. So there was a great deal of privilege that allows me to say that I pretty much felt like we were going to be fine. And why I can say that I had a feeling that we were going to be fine is because of the, I don't know if you'd necessarily want to call it a profile. I knew that, or I felt intuitively that law enforcement would not be targeting us in a way that law enforcement typically targets other communities. Even if we are all just peacefully trying to demonstrate in the exact same way, which 
honestly doesn't feel good to me at all to think about that unequal application of law enforcement and policing. That's a really powerful statement. You know, and that leads me that leads me to ask if you had to break it down into, you know, a percentage kind of formula, how much of it do you think was being a, you know, a pretty white girl? How much of it was it was being part of the disability um, table and, and being with, you know, persons in wheelchairs and persons with other disabilities? Or does it not matter? I'm actually not sure. I do know that it was a pretty diverse crowd. I mean, there were definitely people from every walk of life there. And I mostly, believe it or not, I just felt like I was surrounded by a sea of compatriots. So I think part of where most of my safety feeling came from is just being, for one, near the back of the march because I had to take time to pack up our table before we went on the march. And number two, just being surrounded on all sides by people with the same goal, chanting the same chants, walking the same walk, basically. Yeah, there is definitely something for for listeners out there who have never participated in a march or a rally. There is something to be said for the collective crowd energy, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and literally feeding off of each other's enthusiasm and what whatever cause it may be for the energizing around making the statements and feeding off of, you know, each other's energy is, is absolutely amazing. You know, th- this experience and you know what, adding in your beautiful rainbow pride experiences, you're now leading. So what are you looking forward to next and how will what you've experienced recently factor into how you lead? Well, I definitely look forward to letting more people locally in St. Petersburg and Pinellas County know that our organization exists. I look forward to continuing to partner with other organizations I definitely look forward to more events in the future, particularly as our COVID situation improves. I I look forward to more solidarity. Hopefully we won't need to keep fighting the same fights and the same battles over and over again, but we do need to look at everyone in our general community and learn about each other's issues and show up for each other. Because if, you know, a lot of these issues are all of our fight. Nice. Gabriel, you've been very vocal as president of Blind Pride International. And congratulations, by the way, you're going to be president for another couple of years. But you've been very vocal about making sure that we enfold our entire community into, you know, ACB as our parent organization, BPI as the organization that we all love and, and work hard for. Having had this conversation today, has it changed your thought process um, on approach? And what do you want to do to expand to other communities within the, within the disability community? Not a couple of years. I have one more year to go. (laughs) Yes, you're right. One of the most important principles by which I have guided my presidency with BPI has been the incorporation with our parent organization and the uh, symbiotic relationship in which we give 
they give so 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 we feed off each other definitely jessica's example and jessica's involvement re-energizes me i i know that there's a lot uh, to be careful with uh in terms of for example bpi and acb i know our political involvement is something that needs to be separate because once we go into uh organizations consumer organizations we're 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 there to be together and and fighting for the same goals or goals. advocating yeah. advocating for the same so we're not there to talk politics but moving to another realm of activism and another realm of advocacy um jessica has perfectly given us an example of how disability should need to be a part of our activism in other areas outside our consumer organizations outside our parent organization because we need to be very visible i think it is very important not only the coalition with other disabilities um but it's also important to be very visible in the non-disabled world that that was one of my motivations of joining the lgbt caucus of the democratic party of south florida because i wanted to be visible as a blind person i wanted to be visible as a blind gay democrat <laughs> it didn't work the way i expected so i i feel re-energized and i do feel that this is a key initiative for many of us and actually i'm going to take jessica's example and i hope that even though my god we're so packed with commitments anthony and i i hope that we can explore that possibility and 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 use jessica's guidance um and networking to to see what we can do here in south florida because i i feel that that is something that that we need to do come out of our comfort zone and be visible out there and especially be visible in front of our politicians and in front of those who are seeking to be elected to office wow well you couldn't have given me a better segue um unfortunately as we are known to say on pride connection thanks to one of our founding members Time is a very cruel mistress and we are creeping up at the on um, the end of our hour together. So, I'm going to ask both presidents <laughs> if the leaders in Texas were listening now representing our intersectionalities, not necessarily our consumer organizations, but representing our intersectionality, what message do you want to give to the lawmakers in Texas? Every individual has the right to bodily autonomy. So many people believe that people with disabilities either can't have serious relationships, can't have intimacy, can't get pregnant or oh my gosh, how they're just they're just floored. Well, people need to wake up and realize that people with disabilities can have relationships, can be pregnant, can be parents, can raise children can participate in the full spectrum of life at every stage and don't think that you can just take away our rights to decide what happens to us. Nice. Gabriel. So I'm I've always been known for I'm a big proponent of gender equality and 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 I'm you know I'm a big feminist and uh, to me it is sad to see how a state can legalize the criminalization of women just for their decisions like Jessica said and 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 have them be treated as as some sort of monsters 
just because they make a decision. I will never know what it is to to bear a child. No man will ever know what that feels. And it is very easy to point fingers and say, oh, you don't want the child, give it up for adoption. We do not know the kind of feelings or traumas or the kind yeah. of, of, of life-changing experiences a woman develops after giving birth. It's very easy to judge and it's very easy to tell a woman what to do when we're not in their place. Not only that, but there can be medically complications to a pregnancy like preeclampsia that can threaten the life of a mother. Absolutely. I, I'd like to say to the lawmakers in Texas, you know, it doesn't matter what color you fly your flag under. At the beginning, middle, and end of every decision you make, you're making those decisions for human constituents. We all bleed the same color blood. And how can you, you know, knowingly ignore human needs and human rights to put a color party above the needs of your human constituents? And the next time, you know, you physically or metaphorically look in that mirror, maybe you'll hear my voice saying, we're all human and we all need our needs to be addressed from a humanistic standpoint rather than a party standpoint. We have a couple of seconds left and I'm wondering as a preview to the Denver open mic night, if Jessica will tell us just a few little tidbits about her exes in Texas. Texas, live in Texas. <laughs> Can't Please. wait. Exactly. Oh, no, not exactly. Less than two weeks from today. <laughs> that's Join right. Us. Yes, Friday, and I'll be bringing 22nd. some country songs, that's for sure. Awesome. <laughs> I'll be bringing some show tuny kind of stuff and maybe something just on the border of risque. <laughs> this hey, has I'm been, here for it. This has been Pride Connection. You can hear us here every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. or on all of your major podcasts. If you want to reach out to us or you want that invitation to the virtual open mic, please email us at membership at blindlgbtpride.org. Until next Tuesday, stay proud. You've been listening to Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind Pride International, a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Please check us out at blindlgbtpride.org. Pride.